Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Family. It looks a little different for everyone. For some, it's mom and dad. For others, roommates who feel like family. And for others, it's your significant other, their golfing buddies, your children, a high school soccer team starting lineup, and oh look, they're all taking you up on the offer to stay for dinner, really testing the limits of that phrase, the more the merrier. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on home and car insurance. Easier than making three frozen pizzas and assorted frozen veggies into a cohesive meal. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual-threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv an unmatched dual threat. This is the Cubs related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined as always by Brendan and we are coming to you on Wednesday, August 19th and phew, Brendan, we can breathe a little bit. That was a lot of baseball in a three day span. And ultimately, the Cubs come out on top in this five-game series. So doubleheaders on Monday and Wednesday, all of the seven-inning variety. 
And the Cubs take three of five in this series. So uh, an unfortunate sort of scheduling situation here with some of the little injuries that the Cubs have had, and especially following a disappointing end to that series with the Brewers over the weekend. Uh, a nice response by this Cubs team, even though at, at times in this series it, it felt a lot more dire than the results ended up bearing out. But you take the W's and you take the off day on Thursday and you move on. But Brendan, I think you have to feel, regardless of everything that went on in the series, and there's some stuff to talk about, good and bad, you have mm-hmm. to feel thrilled at, at coming out with a series victory. Absolutely. 16-8 and eight and going into a five-game set with injuries right before the series to Chris Bryant, to Tyler Chatwood, and they come out on top and win the series. And a lot of good credit there to Albert Alzolay in the last start of the series. A lot of credit there to David Bodie stepping up and Wilson Contreras getting back in gear. So there is a lot of good to happen, even though they were really set up, which could have been a bad series if uh, all these injuries persisted and some of the guys did not step up. Yeah, so there is a good bit to talk about here. Uh, I will be quick with the recap because there's five games, so I don't think uh, we all need to sit through that, but just we'll point out some of the things that will set the table for the discussion, and then we will get into it. A lot to kind of work through here. Uh, Again, an off day on Thursday, the White Sox coming up this weekend, so we'll get you prepared for all of that, but just to set the table, again, the Cubs and Cardinals playing the first doubleheader of this this series on Monday. The first game, the a very frustrating one. Kyle Hendricks was really good in this game, uh, but the Cubs offense could not scratch across more than a run, and the Cardinals would get to Hendricks in that seventh inning. Again, remember, these are seven-inning games, so Kyle was trying to finish the game, uh, but only seven innings, but the Cardinals did get to him. Uh, the scoring in this one, Dexter Fowler put the cards up one to nothing. Ian Happ with his fourth home run. That was not all he would do in the series as he stays red hot throughout these five games. But that was his fourth homer of the year at the time. That tied it at one to one. And then it was Brad Miller who had himself a series. Always love when you get beat by the likes of guys like Brad Miller. But of course, that's how it is with the Cardinals. Uh, a game winning two run double in the top of the seventh would be all that she wrote. Kyle Hendricks in this one, six and a third, three hits, three earned runs, one walk, and five Ks. Again, up until that seventh inning, that Fowler home run was really the only mistake that Kyle made. He was really good in this game, but just couldn't push it across all the way. Uh, A story in, in this series that we will talk about is obviously the Cubs with runners in scoring position, uh, the strikeouts, and you know that was a, a theme throughout the series. So we'll touch on some of that. Uh, but three to one was the final in that first game. In the second game, the Cubs winning this one five to four. The nuance in the latter games of both of these doubleheaders is the Cardinals were the home team, which is about as disgusting as something can get. I know. Right? Yeah. The Major League Baseball setting this all up so that the St. Louis Cardinals are on the bottom of the scoreboard at Wrigley Field. Disgusting. Reprehensible. Disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I digress. Uh, The Cubs winning this one 5-4. The starter in this one was Tyson Miller making his major league debut. He goes two innings, one hit, two earned, 
and three walks with no strikeouts. He did allow a home run. Uh, you know, certainly probably not the debut that Tyson was looking for, but this was a tough spot, you know, coming in to make this start out of South Bend, making your major league debut uh, in the middle of a doubleheader an empty Wrigley Field. So, you know, I think uh, all told, not the worst showing for Tyson. And, uh, you know, I think you got to commend him and then obviously add Bear later in this series. Guys, you know, coming into a, a weird spot and, and you know, at least uh, trying to do the effort for the team. So uh, kudos to Tyson for making his major league debut. Uh, the runs in this one, this looked scary for a little while, folks. The Cubs went up one to nothing on a pass ball in the first inning, but then it was all Cardinals through the fourth inning. Brad Miller homering twice in this game. Again, super thrilling to be getting oh. beat by the likes of Brad Miller. Uh, and Max Schrock with his first career home run made it four to one in the fourth inning. So remember, after losing the first First game. Uh, now you're staring at a potential sweep, uh, and you're the road team in your own ballpark. But the top of the sixth would prove decisive for the Cubs. Wilson Contreras with an RBI double got the Cubs to within two. And then Mr. Clutch, as we've seen throughout his career and as he proved multiple times in this series, David Bodie with his third home run of the season, a three run shot to put the Cubs up 5-4, to four, and that would be all she wrote. A, a great note in this game and one of the silver linings of no fans being there is that the minute David Bodie makes contact with this, you can hear Jason Kipnis scream from the <laughs> yeah, on-deck circle. We didn't know who it was until the next day when Jason Kipnis uh, got on Twitter to say, yes, <laughs> that, that was me making that very loud noise the minute there was contact. Uh, we will talk about the bullpen at the end, as we normally do, kind of uh, get you together on that. Uh, but in this game, following Tyson Miller, again, only seven innings, we had Ryan Tapera for an inning. He struck out all three batters that he faced. He is definitely a guy in this bullpen, as we have mentioned. Kyle Ryan struggling again in two-thirds of an inning. Dwayne Underwood uh, with some better outings in this series went one and a third. Mm-hmm. Dan Winkler an inning, and Jeremy Jeffress picks up his second save of the year, and that was Monday, so a split for these two teams. On Tuesday, it was the Cubs winning 6-3 to three behind the arm of Yu Darvish. It was not as exciting uh, of an outing as the, his previous one, where he went through six and a third with a no-hitter, but still just an absolute joy to watch Darvish when he is pitching like this. He picks up his fourth win. He goes six innings, eight hits, one earned, one walk, and seven strikeouts. He was followed by Casey Sadler, Dan Winkler, and Rowan Wick. Rowan picking up his fourth save of the year. Not uh, great outings for Sadler or Winkler, but again, we'll talk about that at the end. Uh, Rowan Wick remains very good. He struck out three uh, to pick up that save. The Cubs getting their runs in this one. Ian Happ's fifth home run of the season. Stop me if you've heard that before, and I'm not done uh, with Ian. Jason Hayward with a triple made it two to nothing in the fourth. The Cardinals would cut the lead to two to one, uh, but in the fifth, Fifth, Kyle Schwarber with his fourth home run of the year, an absolute bomb uh, for this one. And in the seventh, Victor Caratini and Jason Kipnis both driving in runs to make it six to one. The Cardinals would add a couple in the eighth, but nobody cares about that. So that was the final on Tuesday, six to three. And then on Wednesday, our second doubleheader of the series, and it kind of followed a, a similar format. The the first game was not as close or frustrating 
as uh, the the first one on Monday uh, kind of got out of hand pretty quickly. The Cardinals putting up a four spot on a Matt Carpenter grand slam in the first inning before an out was recorded. So uh, never like to give up, but especially in a seven inning game, it was pretty easy to just be like, okay, this is how this one is going to go. Not a good outing for Alec Mills by any stretch of the imagination. His second loss of the year, three and two thirds, seven hits, six earned runs, two walks, and one strikeout. The command was just not there for Alec. And then obviously after the way the first inning played out, he was just kind of wearing that for as long as he could. Uh, Dwayne Underwood would follow him one and two thirds, two hits, two earned, one walk, three strikeouts. And Jason Adam would follow with one and two thirds on his own. The Cubs getting their runs in this one on, hey, guess who? Ian Happ with his six homer of the season. Uh, and then later in the game, Josh Fegley would add a two run home run. Of course, that's where Fegley chooses the spot to get the hits, but we don't have to talk about that. Uh, and then in the finale, again, the Cubs, the road team for the finale on Tuesday, the Cubs winning four to two. And this was a real really, really good start, and we will talk about this, uh, you know, when we get into the pitching more, but huge hat tip to Adbert Alzale, who goes five innings, two hits, no earned runs, but a run, uh, one walk, and six strikeouts, and you, you really just can't say enough of how good of a start this was for Adbert and, you know, especially he was in contention to start on Monday, but had taken a ball off the forearm, so they delayed that a little bit. Uh, but to come in, and and especially at the end of this five-game series, give the team five of the seven innings, no earned runs, striking guys out, this is a huge, huge effort uh, for Adbear. So uh, a major hat tip on, on all accounts, A, for being really good, but also for giving them length in, in, a, in a time where they really, really needed it. The Cubs getting their runs in this one on a Victor Caratini two-run single in the second. The Cardinals would tie things up in the bottom of the sixth. Brad Miller again, love it. Uh, and then in the seventh, it was Mr. Clutch, David Bodie, with a two-run single to put the Cubs up four to two. And it was, ladies and gentlemen, cue up the sweet child of mine. It was Craig Kimbrell picking up his first save of the year with three strikeouts in this one. And he was sitting about 97-98. He touched 99. The curveball was getting over for strikes. We will talk about it. If we we were fully back, I would have started the episode by saying (laughs) I was wrong. But we're going to need more than one outing, Brendan. I think even you can agree with that. But this was a delight to see. Uh... Jeremy Jeffress also in this one, uh, two walks, allows a run and a hit uh, on one, but, you know, he's, uh, I think, still looked pretty good uh, and I guess is allowed to have some bad outings after how he started the year, and that is all she wrote. So it was four to two in this one. Um, A a lot to kind of break down in in this series, Brendan, but I, I think in general, with some of the little injuries that the Cubs have had, uh, KB sitting out this one since we last spoke, uh, the Cubs kind of acknowledging what we had all seen and figured, especially after that diving catch that he made, uh, dealing with some nagging stuff. So he's uh, not been playing, uh, received a, a shot, and you know they're they're trying to get that back. Uh, Chatwood dealing with the back injury, seeing a specialist, Steven Souza, now out with an injury as well. Uh, So some of these things are, you know, piling up for the Cubs, but to be able to win three of five here, 
uh, with multiple double headers and just the way that you know they had come out of that Milwaukee series, uh, a huge sigh of relief and and ultimately uh, a good job by this team to win the series. How important has Ian Happ been to this team this year? And it's not just like him producing runs, but he's able to go into that leadoff spot and do what manager David wanted KB to do this year, and that's not swing up balls, hit the ball far, and provide some good base running on the base paths, absent of that last game today. But that has been such a huge boost, man, and every single underlying metric perhaps suggests this this is a, a legitimate thing. Yeah. He's among the best for swinging at pitches outside the strike zone. He's one of the best for expected weighted on base average. He's one of the best for overall on base percentage. He's one of the best for almost every category. And he's only 25. That's the thing that always boggles my mind. I feel like we've been talking about Hat for so long now that I forget he's a 25-year-old guy still going through the normal adjustments that many players, even on this team, have gone through at his age. Looking at Schwarber, looking at Javi. All these guys, and even even Rizzo during that age span, they've all gone through these transition periods, and they've come out on the other end better for it. And I think we're finally seeing that with Hap, and he's turning into the guy that, we've said it in the past, at the very top end of his projections. That's what he's been doing. Yeah, and I mean, just looking at his numbers, I mean, he's near the the top of the league in in some of these major categories. Yeah, I, I mean... Uh, but looking at, at these numbers, I mean, right now after the game, he goes two for seven, two hits in seven plate appearances on the day on Wednesday with a triple, a homer, uh, one RBI, a walk and two strikeouts, his updated slash line, 315, 438 and a 671 slugging percentage and a 190 WRC plus. Again, we always point that out. A hundred is league average. So Ian is just killing it. And I think A, huge that he's able to step into that leadoff spot and not, you know, of course it's a short sample because it's it's only been uh, a little bit trying this, but, you know, not immediately show signs of changing his approach or, or changing the success exactly. that he's having. And B, it, it allows you to be comfortable with that maybe going forward. I, I think that, you know, Chris Bryant being there, there's a lot of merit to that. I, I think that he's someone who can fit in that leadoff spot, but ideally with someone that has the power that Chris does, you'd probably prefer in an ideal world to have somebody else hitting in the leadoff spot. So I think maybe this uh, is, uh, uh, you know, something that can work out for everybody. You can maybe move KB down when he comes back, uh, especially since he's Mm -hmm. been struggling here. So just all around. And and again, as we keep saying, like this is uh, not something to undersell for the importance of this organization. Ian Happ is someone who is under team control for a few more years here. He is very young, and he is showing himself to be a legitimate star right now. And, you know, of course, it's it's only been however many games. It's a strange season, but none of this is, like, out of out of bounds for someone like him. He's always had these skills, and it was about you know, just sort of tightening up some of those areas of his game. And, you know, one of them, like you were mentioning, Brendan, was some of the stuff that he was sent down to work on. And it all seems to be coming together. And it's just, it's it, as, as we mentioned on past podcasts, especially when you're staring at, 
you know, some guys whose contracts are coming up uh, in the next year or so, guys who are, you know, closer to 30 in, in age, and you're trying to figure out how to balance all of this with the future of this team, who is part of the core, quote unquote, like Ian Half is... <laughs> it's calming some of those things down him being this good or anywhere close to this is a game changer for this franchise and he's not even arbitration eligible yet not till 2021 that that is the crazy thing about this is like i feel we've been talking about ian Happ for years and he's not going to be a free agent until 2024 this is this is exactly what this phase of this team needs we are excited to partner with Obvious Shirts. There is no doubt that you've seen people wearing Obvious Shirts at Wrigley Field, around Wrigleyville, and around the Chicago area. These shirts are funny and are super basic that state something obvious, such as St. Louis is boring. There are also dozens of other funny Obvious slogan shirts that you can buy at ObviousShirts.com. One of my personal favorites is their new Tony Two Chains shirt with literally two gold chains printed on a number 44 shirt. I also like their We Love You shirt in regards to you, Darvish. So go to ObviousShirts.com and use promo code CUBSRELATED at checkout for 10% off. Sports are coming back and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball and the Cubs are finally kicking off their season and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the ads, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Ori. See what they had to say and what it will be like playing without fans in a series that they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. Bet online. Your online wagering experts. When Wilson entered the Cardinals series, he only walked four times the entire year. He was swinging at pitches outside the zone at a 37% clip. The major league average is around 30%. So 37% compared to 30% may not seem like that much, but when you look at who else is making similar swing rates on those bad pitches, they're the most aggressive guys in the league. So Wilson was never like that in years past. He always had a walk rate close to 10%. He always had an outside-the-zone swing rate close to league average. And this series, Corey, he walked six times. Yeah. Six times. Again, he walked four times before this series started. He walked six times this series. That is that is a huge development especially with Javi not performing. You want to see Wilson take those pitches, get back in his, in his approach that he's shown for almost four years now. That's a big development, Corey. Yeah, so we had talked about that on, on the last episode, this sort of dramatic change in Wilson's K rate and the walk rate. So it, he, he's we know that's, you know, there there's four plus seasons of him not being that hitter. We talked about that on the last episode, and it was good to see in this series him kind of you know, calming down a little bit, spitting on some. It was some like bad a, it's like a light switch flip. Like yeah. all of a sudden, he just went back to his normal self. Yeah, so that that, that was a, a relief to see because I I oh, definitely yeah. didn't want to entertain the possibility that Wilson was a you know forty plus K rate <laughs> person. But uh, oh. yeah, I I didn't think that was the case, but it was good to sort of see that trend starting to reverse. So. 
want to talk about those guys again, at least for a little bit, and, and just the offense in general. Like, I, I know this was a, you know, and it's been a, a frustrating several games. Um, it, it feels like, you know, for literally years, we've been talking about how often this team strikes out and how this team performs with runners in scoring position. So I, I, I get uh, a lot of the frustration, but let's let's dial into some of these things. The, the first thing that I want to say, and I, and I don't see many people do this, um, but I also don't uh, operate in the social media circles that would be doing this. Um, one thing I, I, I want to make clear, right? We can talk about how little nagging injuries seem to happen to Chris Bryant fairly frequently, certainly maybe more than most other players. We can also talk about how those nagging injuries seem to affect his performance. There's really no debate there, right? Like, he's he's had seasons that just were not as productive, and we find out that he was hurt, right? Whether it's the, the shoulder, his wrist, his knee, what, whatever it is, right? It's, it's been a few things over the years. But you gotta miss me. Do not come to me with the stuff about him being soft or things like that. It, it's, it's a terrible, terrible narrative and only really something you should spot if you hate the players you're talking about, okay? People get hurt. Human beings get hurt. Some people are able to deal with those nagging injuries and based on the way they swing, their mechanics, whatever, it doesn't affect them as much. They're able to play through it with similar levels of success. KB doesn't seem to be one of those guys. Uh, so I just want to clarify, like, we can have that conversation and we can acknowledge clearly, right, we're looking at it, his performance has been affected by some of these injuries, right, and these nagging little things. But when you start veering into the, oh, this guy's soft, it, it's similar to the BS narratives about you, Darvish, being mentally weak, right? You got to miss me with it, okay? It's it's just not the way we should talk about these guys. Be, getting hurt is not doesn't make somebody soft. Like, they're human beings. Like, Chris Bryant dove for a ball. He hurt his wrist. What about that makes him soft, you know? Like, just miss me yeah. with it. It's, it's just such a ridiculous, especially, and we've seen these guys, so many of these guys gut through so many injuries that I'm sure most of fault. us regular people <laughs> wouldn't be able to get up out of bed dealing with. And they go out there and they try to be productive. So just there's a right and wrong way to talk about stuff like this. Um, but it's clear that, and you know, David Ross has has talked about this, and it's obvious in the numbers that he's been affected by these things. Um, so how that looks when he comes back, we'll, we'll have to see. As for Javi, I don't know, man. I, 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 you know, we, you and I, Brendan and I got into a very long argument uh, on the phone about this before we got on that. Yeah, just we'll leave it at that. But um, the. No, we're going to talk about it. Though. Well, we gotta, yeah. We got to at least. I, I, yeah. So here, here's the thing. And this goes back to what we talked about in the last episode. Uh, KB wasn't, you know, hasn't been playing. He, he's been out for, you know, dealing with these injuries and, and trying to rehab that. Um, but th- those two guys, when we look at the offense, basically where I'm getting here to kind of bring it back to how I started this, when we look at the, the, you know, the strikeout numbers or the runners in scoring position numbers or losing three one run games to the Brewers over the weekend, or, you know, just how many times in this series they loaded the bases and they, they weren't able to score and, and, and stuff like that, right? Like we all saw it. You, you, you can't overstate how big of an issue your, leadoff hitter and your three hitter 
not really performing for such a huge portion of this season is on the offense, right? If those guys were putting up normal numbers for themselves, I don't think any of us care how often the team is striking out or what the runners in scoring position numbers look like because those guys are producing and the offense is producing more on the whole. They're already 16 and 8, right? And if you take those close games with the Brewers or, you know, some of those spots in the losses that they had to the Cardinals here, you know, you add in Chris Bryant playing like Chris Bryant and Javi Baez playing like Chris Bryant. Like, I don't think we're really worried about any of this. Um, But as we look at it, Javi today in six plate appearances, four strikeouts. He's currently sporting a 35% K rate, uh, and his WRC plus is 54. So that is extremely below league average. uh, And his OPS right now is 581. Yikes, Brendan. Um, it's all just to say, I, I'm, I, I don't, you know, I, again, we've said this before, like I, Javi Baez isn't all of a sudden not a good hitter, right? That's obviously not the implication. It's just to point out, that's really bad. And this is your three hitter. This is one of the guys you who's carried this offense at times for this team over the years. And you need those guys to produce. So when we're talking about the offense, you, you, you have to start there before you get into some of the other issues because your stars not producing ultimately is the number one problem. I don't care what else is going on with the offense. The stars have to produce. The the Cubs have been getting huge production out of some of the guys in the bottom of the lineup, guys like Bodie, guys like Kipnis, right? But you you don't always want to rely on that, right? Like you need the stars to produce. That is no question the number one issue if you want to find one with this offense. When you imagine Javi Baez at his worst, what do you think of? You think of him flailing at sliders outside the zone. You think of him completely swinging outside of the batter's box, right? He's not doing that this year. This slump that we're seeing from Javi is one like we've never seen before. And that could scare you, and that's fine. But the reason that it does not scare me is because right now, his discipline, his ability to lay off those bad pitches is better, and I'm going to read a few names here, is better than DJ LeMahieu. It's better than Francisco Lindor. It's better than even Wilson Contreras, who we just talked about. It's better than Nicholas Castellanos. In years past, Javi's been in the worst group of outside the zone swing rate. Right now, he's barely below league average and better than those guys I just talked about. So that's why I'm not worried about it, is when we look at what Javi is doing and struggling with right now, he's just missing his pitches. And that is something that you can be concerned about and ask yourself the question, why then is he missing those pitches? But there are some times, and the data shows this, that when Javi is making contact on those pitches, his average exit velocity is greater than 85% of hitters this year. So he's swinging at fewer pitches outside the zone. And when he is making contact, it's hard contact. So I don't know what the issue is. I don't know why he's not making as much contact inside the zone. It's down by about 4%. But he's struggling for a reason that I never thought Javi would struggle for. I thought if he was going to be bad and going through slumps, then it's going to be because he's just completely out of the box and his discipline is out the door. But that's not the case. 
And so because of that, I'm not as concerned maybe as you and the next guy. I think I trust the process. I want to see Javi continue this plate approach to be reinforced. And I think over time, this type of approach will yield positive results. We saw it with Kyle Schwarber. We saw it with Ian Happ. When you have guys who are able to hit the ball hard as their staple, as their foundation, in one stage is kind of fix and tweak their plate approach a little bit, they take off. And I think with Javi, it could be as soon as next series, Corey. We saw with Wilson Contreras, all of a sudden, it flipped for him. He became the guy we saw last year with not swinging at bad pitches. Javi's the same guy. He's an outlier in every case. And this year, his plate approach has improved. It looks better to me. And he's just missing these pitches. That's not going to continue. Javi's too good for that not to continue. Yeah, I I'm not I'm not really worried about him. I I think that the the key is just to highlight again exactly what I said. Like when we're talking about this offense, you have to start with two of your stars not producing. Like that's that's where this conversation starts. You, you need that to change. I mean, we're not of even course. talking about league average production from KB and Javi. You're so talking what's about, the solution then? I mean, do you want to move him down? I mean, like, what else can you do? Do you want to put him on the bench? Like, I don't I don't know what well, solution so there is. In, in regard, like, first, just starting with KB, I think we always say we're not, both you and I, we're not worried about him unless he's hurt. So with that, it you have to see how these nagging injuries heal. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's possible that the, uh, you know, shot he was given can get him through and you know it's it's not that many games left and and you know he can be fine uh but you know again like that's the caveat we always offer if he's right if he's healthy we're not worried about it but unfortunately that doesn't seem to be the case at least at this exact moment with Javi I'm not worried it's it it's just this is a a really like shockingly bad performance from him to start this year so I guess that gets us to a larger conversation. We've seen Ian Happ in the leadoff spot for a few games here. Uh, he continues to look really, really good, uh, putting up some of the best offensive numbers in the league. Do you like him there going forward? And do you have yeah. an idea of, you know, would you make any other changes? Like, would you move Javi now? And and what might your lineup look like? Let's let's operate in the in this scenario that KB comes back soon. He's right or close to right and you're sort of treating everything as you normally would what do, what do you think this the, the everyday-ish lineup looks like going forward and not you know I don't mean getting into like Nico Kipnis the splits things like you know the of normal course, guys at the top of the order ideally I don't know if it's going to happen but ideally I want to keep Hap at the leadoff spot and I get the potential issues with that especially with Hap kind of going through finally a successful transition phase I get it I like having KB always in a third or fourth spot and, and a second spot too. But Rizzo with the righty lefty switching, I just put KB in the third spot. And I said this too, even before this season started, in an ideal situation, the Cubs have a leadoff hitter and they can utilize Chris Bryan's completely balanced approach in the middle of the order. So that, that would be my preference to have Hap, Rizzo, KB, Schwarber, Contreras, or Javi in the five and six spots. that That's kind of where I'm leading to. And you can kind of mix and match too, depending on the matchup with uh, Schwarber going down in the order. But that's what I would do. But in the moment right now, we don't know when Chris Bryant is going to be fully back to himself. So maybe even getting him back to the third spot, the first days back may not be the right decision. Speaking to Javi's issues and whether to keep him in that third spot or move him down, 
if it were up to me, I would move him down. And I that that's where you and I agree. I think you said the same exact thing. You would move him down as well. I agree. But yeah. I do value the potential reward for future games four or five weeks from now by keeping Javi in the third spot. And here's why. I'm going to read a quote by David Ross in spring training. And he said, quote, I think the flow of a normal, consistent lineup is important to some of the players. It's a real thing as much as we don't measure it. Finding a balance there is one of the things I'm focused on, end quote. And so my fear is by moving Javi down in the lineup, you don't reinforce this plate approach change that he successfully made. And again, that's not swinging at bad pitches. My worry is by moving Javi down now on Friday's game to the sixth spot, to the seventh spot, whatever, I'm worried that he's going to start pressing and get out of this approach, mm-hmm. that this new change is not going to be embedded in his brain. That, that That's my concern. And I think if that's a justifiable reason to keep him in there, that's the best justifiable reason. We've been wanting... Yeah. Javi to lay off these pitches, so that that's that's where I'm coming from, Corey. Like in a in a vacuum, yeah. Like just let him go down in the sixth or seventh spot, and you know, put someone up there who's performing well right now. That's that's fine. But these guys are human beings with emotions who are trying to go through uh, adjustment phases. There there is a delicate balance here. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I'm completely with you on that. In a normal season, this is not even a conversation we're entertaining, right? Twenty four games into the season, I could care less what anybody's numbers look like, right? <laughs> like we're not even entertaining this. Um I I guess where it is for me is I I'm totally with you and, and like I said, in a normal season I would let it all lie and, and you know, again, I'm not worried about hobby. He's too good of a player to not sort of snap it in there, right? And it's such a small sample and, you know, sometimes guys just struggle for a little bit. It it happens. Um the the thing I'm just having trouble reconciling is you know, we're over a third of the way through this season. Now, granted, a lot of teams are making the playoffs, so it's it's not as, you know, hyper-focused on, uh, you know, certain winning the division or things like that as, as you may normally be. Um, again, it, it all just comes down to we're 24 games through this, a 60-game season, and you're, you're just getting killed by these numbers in the three spot, you know, and, and Rizzo's been getting on base at a really nice clip, taking his walks and stuff. And you have someone hitting behind him who's just not hitting. And it, it's a, it's a horrible spot. I, I hate even thinking like this about Javi, because again, I'm not concerned about him. He's not all of a sudden, not a good hitter. He's a great hitter. We know that, but I, I just don't, like, honestly, I just don't really know what to do. Like, it's it's hard, again, to keep going back to those, like, Brewers games. You know, you're losing one-run games. It's it's really difficult not to look at your, your three-hole hitter as a sub-600 OPS, you know? And I, it, it just, I, I don't know the right solution, and I am totally with you that moving him in the order, you have to be careful with the mental stuff. But I, I'm just trying to... And I don't know what the right answer is, right? And I definitely trust that David Ross and Cubs coaches and management and Javi himself have a much better handle on this than I do. I'm just trying to reconcile you're your running out of real estate in this season. You you have, you know, built yourself a little bit of a cushion and, and earned that back with the way they played in this series against St. Louis. 
but I mean, these these numbers, like from KB in the leadoff spot and Javi in this three spot, like you want to talk about a way to, <laughs> to kill an offense. <laughs> I, know. I mean, that's it. So I, I just don't know what the right solution is. And I, and I guess for me, I'm just inclined to think, you know, move him a, a few spots, even if it's just for a couple games and, 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 you know, just try to let him relax a little bit and, and get back to who he is and, and sort of like reignite that like El Mago in him. Um, but I, I don't know what the right answer is. And, and again, I, I totally believe in the lineup consistency and, you know, being careful with stuff like that. I, I just, you, you can't have that poor of production in, in two of the spots in the top of your order mm-hmm. for too long. That That's, that's really, well, and, and again, part of the reason that I bring that up is it does, when you're not getting that production from those spots, then you start to really highlight it. It really puts a spotlight on, yeah, there's a lot of guys in this lineup that strike out a lot. Like, welcome to the Chicago Cubs of the last five years, right? Like, they have problems hitting with runners in scoring position. Like, you know, again, like, welcome to the same problems we've been dealing with. Like, but that gets magnified a thousandfold when you're one and three hitters, and at least just in this series, I guess, you're three hitter are just completely not performing so I I don't know what the right solution is I just want (laughs) I want that to change I guess is really what it comes down to well we're operating from you know a blind spot here we don't know the conversations he's had with David Ross with Anthony Iaposti and Justin Stone and all the coaching staff like we, we don't know really what's contributing to this dull phase we we have no idea the Cubs do still have a 97% chance of making the playoffs. So I think that's where my mindset is, is how do we get Javi Baez producing in September, in the middle of September? And if there is any hint that moving them down two spots, three spots, is not going to reinforce the changes he has made, I'm not into it. And that's where the discussion does come in between Javi and the coaches, and Javi and his manager. And I think that's one of the best traits of David Ross, is he can kind of recognize that. He has a really high emotional IQ, a really high social IQ. And I feel like that is one thing that does put him atop most managers. And we saw really the utility of that with Craig Campbell. And we'll see if Craig Campbell is no quote-unquote back. But that was a pretty fast transition from Campbell from at his worst two weeks ago when his release point was exceptionally low, and he's throwing 95-96 with these cement mixer curveballs, and we see as recent as uh, you know 10 days later, he's throwing 99. He's throwing those wicked curveballs and getting three strikeout saves against St. Louis Cardinals. That, that was a fast turnaround, and what Ross did was probably communicate with Campbell. He put him down in the 7th, 8th innings, kind of like a low-stress environment, got him going again but that was good for Kimbrell in that moment maybe Javi's not the type of guy who would respond well to that we, we just we don't know I get it I will say too if the Cubs were like you know at 500 right now and their playoff chances were 50 60 percent yeah then you have no choice you have no choice you got to win these games now but because the Cubs do have a pillow if you will with this high playoff projectability I'm I'm okay, and I see the logic of not doing it. Again, it's not what I would do, thankfully, but I get what the logic is of keeping a struggling Javi in the three spot. 
yeah, I I, I understand. It's it's uh, a, a tricky spot. It's a it's, it's a bit of a nuanced situation. I, I think ultimately, it's it's everybody's on the same page. You want Javi and you know KB and these guys to get right, and you want that production from the top of the order and and your big players to be what you need it to be. So uh, I, I again, I trust David Ross and Theo Epstein and and those guys. Uh, more than me and more than Twitter to, to figure that out, certainly, <laughs> uh, which is a good, you know, it's a good place to be. Um, other, you know, want to move on to the pitching. Um, before we move on to, to the pitching, just a, a couple other notes on the offense. Uh, want to give, uh, you know, a little hat tip. Uh, Jason Hayward had a nice series in, in, in some of these games. Uh, it's always, you know, he, he's one of those guys when he's going the other way with authority. Uh, it's it's one of those good things to see, but he had a couple nice games in this series. Victor Caratini with a big knock uh, in this series. And it, really, just to pause for a second, like David Bodie, man, I like he firstly has been uh, a lot cleaner on defense playing several different positions he, he's Love been one guy. of those guys in the past and at times earlier this year too where if it's a difficult play he's gonna make it I have the utmost confidence in him to make a difficult play but sometimes the routine ones that's where he gets uh tripped up a little bit made a bad throw uh in the game they gave him the error I think it was really Rizzo's error but it was a bad throw so either way um but I think in general, he's been a lot better about that and has made some really nice plays per usual. But boy, like he's he's just clutch. Marquis showed a really good graphic about, you know, the, the success that he's had and the really good numbers that he's put up as a pinch hitter. But then, you know, even in uh, the spot to finish out this doubleheader on Wednesday, just a huge hit, man. And, you know, coming through with runners in scoring position and getting that game-winning hit, but a couple game-winning hits in this one. It, it it really is uh, something you want to highlight. Just you know how when a, when a role player like that and you know someone who doesn't necessarily have a defined role is able to to really succeed in those spots where he gets in there. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball and the Cubs are finally kicking off their season, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the ads futures and props to bet on all available 24 7 and with the return of sports bet online sat down with former pro players eddie george harold reynolds and seven-time nba champ robert ori see what they had to say and what it will be like playing without fans in a series that they're calling pandemic visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. Bet online. Your online wagering expert. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL with NFLSundayTicket.tv. You can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, SundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. Bodie, just like everyone else, man, is just transitioning. He's adapting. He's seeing consistent pitches and playing time and it, it it's it's translating to success Bodie it, it's weird for me to try to get these guys 
playing time. Like, right, like I want to see Kipnis play against righties. I want to see Nico get that developmental time. I want to see Bodie on the field more. I just, there's just like no room for them. And that's a great problem to have, one that I don't think you and I anticipated this year. So I, I, I don't know how to get him more playing time, but I really want to see him play. Yeah, well, and especially with the KB situation, at least, you know, somewhat uncertain at the moment. Uh, you know, we've talked obviously a lot about being careful with Nico's long-term development in terms of how he's being deployed, being able to be confident in saying, okay, well, tonight Bodie's going to start at third base. Or, you know, if if it's not a night that you like the matchup for Kipnis or Nico, hey, let's let's get Bodie in there. So uh, I, I think just huge for him to be performing the way that he has. Um, and again, you know, just to wrap it up, speaking specifically on like the strikeouts and the runners and scoring position stuff, it's but you know it's been a trend for this offense for a while some of that stuff happens across the league some of it you know it's just sort of who some of these guys are and sometimes it's just sequencing where some of those strikeouts happen at the worst time right you look at the game uh to finish the game on Wednesday the second of the doubleheader the Cubs hit a ton of balls 95 miles an hour plus and a ton of them had absolutely nothing to show for it you know you hit those right at somebody and then the next step at, you, you know, you strike out in the wrong spot. It, you know, sometimes it just happens. But again, I, I don't think we're really focused on a lot of that if the stars are all producing the way that they can be and should be. But moving to the pitching, uh, you know, sort of a lot of moving parts in this series in particular, obviously, but really where we stand with the pitching, uh, a couple things that we know. Kyle Hendricks is great. You Darvish is great. Those are uh, very clear uh, things that we can just get out of the way. Uh, Tyler Chatwood seeing a back specialist. I don't think we got a further update on that, but unfortunately that could be a second. Uh, not really sure the timeline on that, but you know, unfortunately those back things can be problematic, especially for a pitcher. Uh, so we'll see on that, but at least for now he, he's not going to be in there. Um, Alec Mills, again, was not good in this series in his start. Um, and Adbear was. Uh, we also know that Quintana is close. Uh, he, I think, had thrown a 60-ish pitch sim game recently, um, and I think they wanted him to do one more of those before he was going to be back with the team, but he's certainly close to returning. Um, you know, if if not this weekend, certainly I think next week looks definitely possible. They haven't really spoken about what role he might be occupying. They haven't really addressed any questions about whether he would come right back into the rotation or try a bullpen spot or if they would be doing a six-man rotation. Who knows? Uh, but with Chatwood maybe being out and Adbear having a nice showing, uh, what it, how, how are you seeing this, this rotation? What do you want to do with some of these guys as it relates to the bullpen? And, you know, I, I, maybe we can just sort of tie this in with the bullpen eventually. Um, but coming out of this series, we've got an off day. We have kind of a day to digest this. What are we, what are we thinking about the pitching staff here? Well, hopefully Chatwood's back is not serious and he can be back relatively soon. If it is more serious than we want it to be, Q's got to go back in the rotation. And it was always my preference to keep Q in the bullpen because Chatwood was looking good and Mills was looking good. And I know Mills did not look the best in that one start, but again, given the context and the short time to get ready you gotta gotta have the benefit of the doubt with mills but again if chatwood needs a second then i would probably go with q in the rotation and alzale is right there waiting in the wings alzale impressed me in that one start against the cardinals his first of this year he was throwing 
a faster curveball than the one he threw last year. And this might just be a random thing. I don't think it's a random thing. The reason being is that last year his curveball uh, velocity averaged uh, 79 miles per hour. And his start against the Cardinals, it averaged 82. And his fastest curveball against the Cardinals on Wednesday was almost 85. Last year, his fastest curveball was 82. So that's why I don't think it's that random. I think it's a legitimate change. Because if it were random, then his max last year would not be slower than his average today. It's just too much separation for me to think that's a random thing. So all in all... I want to see Alzale more. I, I, I'm surprised. Uh, given what we've heard from Alzale and some of the uncertainties and the arm injuries, in my mind, I don't think I... Like, I never wrote him off. I just did not expect him to contribute. It's, it's not a knock on him. It's just, you know, being realistic. So if Alzale does continue this, and he continues to throw 95 on average with that 82-mile-per-hour curve, and you sprinkle in that changeup, he could be a 3-4-5 inning swing guy. He mm-hmm. could be a spot starter. He can fill the same role that Alec Mills was filling or that we anticipated him to fill before Q got hurt. It's nothing but good to have another guy who can swing and throw multiple innings and start when you need him to start. But from the get-go, again, assuming Chatwood does have to miss some time, you got to go with the veteran. You got to go with the consistency. You got to go with just the overall stature that Quintana does bring. And if that's what ends up happening, I'm fine with it. it it's it's going to be interesting to see how they proceed with this and really without knowing exactly what the future for Chatwood looks like. It obviously complicates how to uh, look at all of this. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm with you on Mills. He certainly earned, uh, you know, coming back from a bad start. I mean, he he really clearly just didn't have the command in in his start in this series uh and also you know was sort of thrown off on his schedule remember when he pitched against the brewers he wasn't supposed to start that day so you know that obviously doesn't help things but he's he's certainly been so good in some of these starts that he's uh you know certainly allowed a clunker here and there um i i would like to see Adbear stay with this team i i just think um you know especially with some of the other guys you know like i i'd rather see what role you can find for Adbear rather than you know, trotting Dan Winkler out there. Uh, you know, he just doesn't have the command right now. He's walking too many leadoff hitters. Yeah. I, I just, it's just sort of a question of like, let's, let's go try the younger guy, try one of the guys that's been in your system, like, and, you know, see if you can make something out of that. And like you said, see if you can find uh, sort of that, like, you know, swing man role or, or some opportunity for uh, him to come in and shine and, and, you know, build on a really nice start that he had uh, in, in this series against St. Louis. As far as Q, it's, it's really hard to say. That's, that's one of those where, especially in this season where we, we don't have access uh, to South Bend. We don't really know what's going on there. And, you know, the media isn't really able to get as much information as they normally would on the sim games and the and the side sessions and stuff. You know, we keep hearing that he looks good. He's on track and stuff like that. But what else is anybody going to say, right? So that's harder to say. I mean, I think, again, you know, with some of the inconsistencies that we've seen with this pitching staff, uh, you know, I I think it'll be nice to have Q back in the fold and in whatever role uh, they decide to go with him, just because that's something that he brings is is consistency, and I, I don't think that's that's a bad thing right now. Like you know, I, I'm not I'm certainly not expecting uh, big things or you know for him to be uh, pitching 
you know, I, I, I don't obviously expect him to be delivering starts or anything like that that we're seeing from some of these other guys. But can you know a guy that can be consistent and hopefully as he's working his way back up there can give you those innings and and keep the team in the game I I think it's uh, not the worst thing for this pitching staff at the moment but it's hard to even suggest what I want the roles to be because I I mean I haven't seen Quintana throw a pitch right so it's (laughs) it's just really hard to uh, figure exactly what's going on here but um, it will be nice, you know, obviously to, to, to get him back. He's been a big part of this pitching staff for a few years now. Um, as far as the bullpen is concerned, I, I don't think we really have any major changes. Like we said, I, I, I mean, I think Winkler, I, I, I'm just, it, it doesn't work for me at the moment, just walking too many guys. Um, Kyle Ryan is, is a bit of a concern for me. Um, just mm-hmm. had some bad outings. The velo hasn't, been there, you know, certainly going to have to see see better from him, especially if he's going to be one of those guys that David Ross is relying on for those lefty-lefty matchups. Um, as I said earlier, Tapera is a guy. He's been great. He has great stuff. Uh, I think he's definitely moved his way up in into those, you know, you can give him some high leverage innings. Jeffress has had, uh, you know, one in this series against St. Louis, and then obviously the one uh, in, the, in the second inning that he threw uh, against St. Uh, Milwaukee in that extras game over the weekend, you know, got bit, uh, but he's been really good. And I think is, 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 is still in that group. Obviously Rowan Wick is great. Um, Casey Sadler, uh, had one rough outing, uh, you know, giving up a couple runs, walking a couple guys, but he's on the whole been, I I think very good. And, uh, you know, one of those guys that you can rely on though, I wouldn't necessarily put him, uh, in that, highest of leverage groups, uh, but I, I still think he's someone to look at in this bullpen, and I, I just want to finish by talking about what we saw from Craig Kimbrell in, in this mm-hmm. game on Wednesday. As I mentioned in in the recap, this was a, a very strong outing for Craig, and again, it's, it, it's, a, it's a step-by-step thing. We don't have to see one good outing and proclaim he's back or he's the closer for sure again or anything. We can just be happy with the progress, right? Like the velo was up. He was locating those elevated fastballs. He was getting whiffs on the fastballs. And I think more important than anything, he was locating the curveball for strikes. And again, one of the best ways I think to judge where Kimbrel's at right now is the comfort of the hitters. And to compare the way the St. Louis hitters looked against him today on Wednesday with that Red Series, with that Pirate Series, again, in those games, they were not even entertaining the curveball. They were spotting it either in his hand or the second it left his hand, and you couldn't pay them to even offer it that, right? And then they were sitting fastball. He wasn't able to locate the fastball as much, leaving it much too over the plate, much too low, and... Now you look at and contrast that with the game on Wednesday. He's able to elevate that fastball more. There's more velo there, throwing the curveball for strikes, and the hitters don't look comfortable, right? He got three strikeouts in this game. Uh, They don't look comfortable. They don't look like they're able to go up there with that set game plan of, I know what's coming, and I'm going to smash it. And we don't all need to relive it, but compare and contrast today's outing with the last time Craig Kimbrell faced the Cardinals, and I think the difference speaks for itself. I would consider this like it's not a baby step. It's it's like it's like an adolescent step. It's it, it is a big step, Corey. It's like he's throwing he was throwing ninety eight consistently today. Like he averaged ninety seven point seven miles per hour today. That is almost one tick higher 
than what he's shown in the past you know what this year and then the last three weeks of the last season this this is a this is a bigger deal than what we saw a few days ago with Kirk Embrill and as you said you can look at the batters and you can look at how off balance they are when he's throwing his wicked knuckle curveball and then following up in the same tunnel with 99 mile per hour heat at your forehead you're not hitting that most people are not hitting that and so this this is a bigger step now, to your point, is he the quote-unquote official closer now? I, I don't know. I, I don't know what David Ross wants to see. I don't know what more he wants to see, if he's expecting better command with some of his pitches. There were a few curveballs that did get away. But overall, that was incredibly encouraging. And some of the mechanical stuff that we've been talking about, like the release point, it was really, really low in one start, and it got back up. A little bit, but it is still lower than what we saw in years past. So I don't, again, I don't know what to make of that. I don't know if that's just a natural thing. I don't know if the cameras aren't like calibrated. I, I have no idea. But what I do know is when he's throwing 98 and 99 and making batters look like that, you can't ignore it at all. And if there is a safe situation on Friday, I'm cool with Craig Kimbrell getting the chance again. And I like Rowan Wick. I'm loving Jeffress's attitude, but. I love 99 miles per hour more than what those other guys bring. And for that, on Friday, if there's a 2-1 to one game in the ninth, I'm okay now calling on Craig. Yeah, well, and I mean, I think, you know, this all goes back to the way that we talked about this earlier in the season and before the season, where one of the main things that I said was, I don't know how he's going to perform. I'm just not confident he's going to be as good as, you know, they really need him to be. Um, but obviously it goes without saying like Kimbrel being reliable and good oh is God. enormous imagine, for this team <laughs> like you, you it's it's i mean it's one of the most obvious things oh. that i could say uh on this podcast like him looking even just like he did in this game today on wednesday is huge for this team what what's it going to take for you to come on this podcast and say that you were wrong about Craig Kimbrell, like what? I think like a what couple more. I think a couple more like that. Give me a few in a row where clearly you? he's got the mechanics figured out a little bit. He's able to locate the pitches, and you know the hitters continue to not be able to just sit on uh, the fastball. You know, I don't. I don't. It's hard to put an exact number on it, but you know. And then look, I mean, we'll just get this out of the way. He'll do that. I'll come on and say, hey, I was wrong about Craig Kimball. And literally the day we drop that episode, he'll blow a save. It's going to happen. So I'm just going to say this now so that we can look back. And you can't blame me for jinxing him or anything. I'm telling you that's going to happen. So like no matter what, like that's just how it's going to play out. We can all just agree that, you know, we we know. We we can see it coming. But yeah, Yeah. I I mean, I think a a few more like and, you know, again, like it's there, there. It's huge for this team if he's able to do that um but also just you know we we've highlighted them and we've given them the props but especially if we're even starting to be optimistic of that on Craig it it obviously moves Wick and Jeffress into possibly you know different roles moves them down a bit and it it can't be highlighted enough how big those guys have been leading up to this again like this isn't to say Kimbrel's a closer he's back right I I made that very clear I don't think that uh just yet but the job that those two have done in particular in 
maybe biding the time until that happens is huge, especially both of them have gone out there and gotten uh, multi-inning, you know, four-out saves in, in different spots. They both come in to absolute messes and gotten themselves out of it. And they've proven really, really reliable for David Ross and Tommy Hadovy and this staff. So whatever does happen going forward, hopefully it is Kimbrell getting himself right and and reassuming for sure that role as the closer. Uh, but can't can't be stated enough how good Wick and Jeffers have been uh, for this team and stepping up in roles that they were not you know prepared to be in. Right, like so that's been huge. Last thing on the bullpen. I still think Adam is an interesting guy. Uh, I, I yeah, so you know, he he's he hasn't worked himself into uh, those high leverage spots. I still think that's a very small group. I mean, maybe for me right now, that's Tapera, Jeffress, Wick, and you know, if they're in. I mean, it, it was high leverage today for Craig, so I, I don't know how comfortable I am with it just yet. But you know, he's in that role, so uh, hopefully it continues like that. So I don't know if Adam is there. Uh, you know, did give up a run in one and two thirds innings today with two hits, walked two guys, but four strikeouts. The the stuff is clearly there, right? Like you want to see the walks cut down. Uh, you know, obviously you don't want him giving up runs, but I, I think he's one of those guys who I'd at least like to see some more outings from and, and see what's there. Cause I think this stuff is good. So I think he's an interesting guy. If we're talking about, you know, those guys who are maybe at the bottom and we're just trying to figure out if they can step up into a bigger role. Uh, but you know, you're already just to, to close the loop on that, you're already seeing some of that pay off, right? You know, like I think Tapera struggled in that first inning, uh, for, excuse me, first outing that he had. And, you know, he looks nasty in some of these outings. So it, it, it depends on who it is. But, you know, sometimes you do need to allow guys to have that room to work through stuff, build up that velocity or whatever it is. Uh, and sometimes it's a fine balance, right? Like I think they're dealing with that with Kyle Ryan right now. You know, it's it's a tough balance to know like, okay, how much room do we give this guy? How much do we believe that they'll get back to whatever form we believe they can get back to? Um, but it's all just to say... I think they I think they have enough guys in and around this bullpen to piece it together and and have it be uh you know successful going forward here. The fact that we have so many names to mention here is a good sign, right? Like even yes, and we didn't mention right. him here, but even like Dwayne Underwood Jr., I know he gave up a few runs, but the stuff looked good. The velocity was higher by almost 2 miles per hour when he was coming in and I've I've been higher on Dwayne Underwood so even him getting more chances is something I'm into not in like mid to high leverage situations but potentially if he keeps show, showcasing like this and adapting you know maybe he's an arm later in September to look at all right so with that said let's preview the upcoming series against the Chicago White Sox Corey so we have the White Sox coming to Wrigley Field on Friday for a three-game set that first game starts at 7.15 p.m. Central Time. We have your boy, John Lester, on the mound. John on the year is 2-0 with a 2.74 ERA. He'll be facing another lefty, Dallas Keuchel, for the White Sox. On the year, Keuchel is 3-2 with a 3.07 ERA. On Saturday, we have another night game, start time 7.15 p.m. We have... Kyle Hendricks on the mound for the Cubs, 3-2 with a 3.31 ERA. We have Dylan Cease, former Cubs top prospect who was traded for Jose Quintana on the mound for the White Sox. 
Cease on the year having a great start, 4-1 with a 3.16 ERA. The final game on Sunday is a day game, your traditional 1.20 p.m. start time. We have Yu Darvish on the mound for the Cubs, who is 4-1 with a 1.8 ERA. Yu is just looking to continue what he's been showcasing. For the White Sox, they have not announced a starter yet, so just be on the lookout for who's going to finish off this three-game series. In terms of trends to look for, I'm still monitoring what Craig Kimbrell looks like. That's an obvious. Stay tuned for what uh, Chris Bryant will look like if he's going to play on Friday uh, with that cortisone shot he's gotten in his wrist. And other than that, you want to see Javi Baez get going. You want to see Wilson Contreras continue to have this solidified approach, this patient approach. And you're 16 and 8, right? Like, there is perspective here. And you got to start looking forward to even mid-September, late September, and what that means for lineup construction we've talked about, what that means for bullpen management. You know, we can get into the nitty-gritty details on a day-to-day basis, but there are consequences beyond just winning a game where you already have a 97% chance of making the playoffs. Yeah, so as we record this, it's about 9.20 in Chicago on Wednesday night. It looks like the Brewers and the Reds are going to pick up wins here. They've got fairly comfortable leads as I am saying this. Uh, Hopefully that serves as a jinx. I'd be happy for it too. Uh, But that would put the Cubs at 16-8 and with a four-game lead over the Brewers and a five-game lead over the Reds. Four and a half over St. Louis, and Pittsburgh is one of the worst teams in the league. Uh, So we don't—actually, they are the worst team in the league— Sorry to everybody else for even <laughs> suggesting As that, that wasn't the God case. intended. Corey. Yes, uh, I wish I do. Wi- like I don't wish that Hurdle was still their manager, but I do wish that he was the manager of the worst team in the <laughs> league. If this. that makes sense, yeah, um, no, it makes total sense. Yeah. So it's all told, it's it's a really good spot to be. And again, like, uh, you know, you, you're able to be 16 and 8. Uh, you're literally winning at a two-thirds pace uh, at the moment. And you're doing so with several guys dealing with some nagging injuries, as we've talked about. Some guys, you know, a guy like Quintana hasn't played at all, right? Um, And you're not getting production from KB when he's not dealing with this nagging injury or Javi. And, you know, you've had some fluctuating production from from some of these other guys. So all told, 16 and 8 is, is a really good spot to be in. You've gotten some really good performances from different guys stepping up into these roles. And I, I think, you know, you just got to be confident that the stars are going to get it together and they're going to perform the way that we know that they can perform because, uh, you know, that's just what, what you have to expect from some of these guys. So all told, it's a, it's a really good place to be. I will say I'm, I'm noticing that the one, one of the main downsides to playing only the AL Central and the NL Central, like this is three straight series, man, that oh, is just exhausting. filled with <laughs> the narratives, right? Like going from the Brewers to the Cardinals to the White Sox, it's just like every game feels like a million because of how much you hate losing to or playing these teams and these particular players, right? Like we move immediately from a series with the Cardinals where they're, you know, back from their uh, coronavirus situation and they're playing, you know, some of their, the handful of their first games of the year, right? You move immediately from that and games where the Cardinals were the home team at Wrigley Field, right? So we had to worry at least for a moment about like a potential walk-off at Wrigley Field uh, for the Cardinals, right? 
And then you move immediately to we get to face Dylan Cease and Eloy, right? It's just, it's it's a lot. It, I, I, it would be nice to play like the Tigers, right? And even a good team, like even playing the Twins. It's like, I don't care about the Twins or any of those players or anything like that, right? Like, but just three in a row of, of these teams uh, is a lot from from a narrative perspective. But I don't know. I guess there's something fun of it. I, I don't know. I'm not much of a, a silver linings guy when it comes to the Cubs. I'm more of a binary. They, they either win and I'm happy or they lose and I'm not happy kind of guy. But that's where we are. And that's pretty much how it's going to be for a lot of this because those are the only two divisions that we're playing. So that's how it is. Uh, but I think that's all that we have for you. It was, a, it was a lot. So enjoy your off day. We just did five games uh, in three days. The Cubs coming out on top in a, in a tough spot uh, that they were dealt, that they, you know, they were dealt a hand that they didn't have anything to do with, and they responded very nicely. So uh, kudos to the Chicago Cubs for the way they showed up in this series, taking three of five. I hope they enjoy their off day. I hope you enjoy the off day. Take a breather. This, this season is is a sprint, as we've said a million times, uh, beating that phrase into the ground. Uh, but you know, mentally, it's 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 a lot. You come off that series with the Brewers into five straight games with the Cardinals in three days. It's a lot. So let's enjoy our breather. The Chicago Cubs will be in first place. They will have one of the best records in the league uh, when we wake up on Thursday and when we go to bed on Thursday. And we can all get ready to do it again with the White Sox in Chicago. So as always, thank you guys for listening. We will talk to you on Sunday evening at the conclusion of this series with the White Sox. And as always, we end by saying, Go Cubs! Get really into your favorite shows and movies all in one place with Flex, a 4K streaming box you get free with Xfinity Internet. And get Peacock Premium at no additional cost. Learn more at Xfinity.com slash Flex. Restrictions apply requires postpaid Xfinity Internet excluding Internet Essentials, one device included. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.